the Sunday Sermons Podcast. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we wrapped up a very short series called Like a Child. We were exploring some of the core things that Jesus meant when he said that unless we change and become like little children, that we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And I know that there's only a small percentage of you who really care about filling in every blank. But I found out I disappointed a few people. I left one of them out. So let me just fill that out. It's two weeks late, but here you go. The two words were growing up. The idea was this, that children are obsessed with growing up. They, we have a lot to learn from them. One of the things we need to learn from children is enjoying every day as it is, living life to the full. But if you've ever been around a kid, they're all about those milestones, birthdays. They can't wait till they get to the next grade up. They look forward to when they're in middle school for crying out loud. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, hey, this is awesome. I'm One of these days, when I grow up, they, they, they know that they've got to keep learning and growing. And that's something that we have to keep doing. And that's what this next series is all about, actually, is what does God think? What does it look like for us to grow up? What's, what's it look like to get big and strong the way God would like us to be? Brendan Menning says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And I don't say that in a judgmental way. I don't think he meant it that way either. But here's the point. Too often the temptation is for us Christians is just to accept God's grace and stay the same. To never expect to grow up or change or to become more pure or more holy or more like Jesus. We just accept his forgiveness and stay the same. And that's, that's not what he had in mind. And that certainly doesn't attract anybody to want to be part of the team. Does this make sense? This idea of growing up is central to God's vision for us. It's central to what it means to follow God. One of my favorite artists of all time is uh, Rich Mullins, and we're going to be using some of his music, some of his insight over the next couple weeks. So those of you who are big fans, uh, this is your day. And those of you who are not, I encourage you to listen to him some. He's good stuff. But he's got a song. It's actually a Mark Hurd song, one of the very few cover songs he ever did, but it's called How to Grow Up Big and Strong. What that song is actually about is the alternate versions of how to grow up big and strong that we must not believe in. But we'll go there on a different day. The title goes well with what we're actually talking about. There's four big ideas I want to throw out this morning, and then we're going to just walk through. You guys ready? By the way, you do have one of these Bible study guides if you want. It's with you. You'll see several of these words on there. One you won't for a reason. I'll explain in a second. For us to really grow up and to be remade and become more and more like God. We're all made in his image. That's how we all start. And no matter how much that image gets twisted and broken and spoiled in us, it's still in there somewhere. But for us to be remade in the image of God, one of the things we have to reclaim is our creativeness. God is a creator. And he's given us the ability to create things. And I don't just mean art and things. I mean, create moments. We get to make more choices than we think we do. And one of the most tragic things that happens to humanity, I think across the board is when we feel more trapped than we are. We have more ability to change, more ability to make choices that actually really just shift the whole trajectory of our lives than we often think we do. 
There's so much, and that's part of God that he's put in us. Those of us who also have the Holy Spirit of God in us that's wanting to produce his fruit in us, there's infinitely more potential for us to truly change and to truly be transformed. But that's the creation idea. Isolation means a couple of things today. Uh, One is we actually need to get alone sometimes. We'll talk more about that in a second. But another idea is sometimes we just need to focus. There's so much noise in the world that we have to just focus on some things that are true and turn out all the other things sometimes. And all of this has to be done with intention. You'll see all of those on there. The one you won't see that's huge, but it's up here, is transformation. And the reason it's not on here is because it's literally every single part of this thing. The whole vision is transformation. God wants us to become like him. He wants every one of his children to end up bearing the family resemblance and to inspire other people to join the family. Paul puts it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Whatever translation you're reading in English, it's, it's doing its best to translate that phrase, test and approve. It's actually one word in the original. Uh, it, it can mean a bunch of different things. Think, test, analyze, conclude, discern, It means a lot of things. It's not us evaluating God and saying, oh, you get an A today, God. That's not what it's about. That word appears several places in other contexts throughout the scriptures. But what it's saying is we we have the capacity, if we do certain things every single day, if we consistently offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices, we will gain the capacity to know God's will. When we hear something, somebody says, here's God's will, we'll know if that's really God's will or not. When we're praying and something comes to us and we think, I think that might be God trying to tell me something, we'll know. When we're reading the scripture and we're a little bit confused, we'll know because we've spent so much time with him. Because we've had habits that little by little, day after day after day, actually transform us by the renewing of our mind. And we actually, little by little by little, start to actually see the world like Jesus does. Isn't that a beautiful idea? And that's, that's at the core of this idea of growing up big and strong God's way. Richard Foster is a known expert. He's one of the ones that everybody quotes when they're talking about spiritual disciplines. He says this, disciplines are not the answer. They only lead us to the answer. They get us to the place where something can be done. And that's where I'd like to just kind of marinate for a second. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. Hopefully these verses are very familiar to pretty much all of you. But this is where we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. There's a list of sins. There's several other things of whatever the context is. We keep coming back to this passage. But as you listen this morning, as you read along with me and your scriptures, whatever you brought with you up on the screen, I want you to listen for this idea of transformation, this idea of what we do every single day and how that transforms us. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Let's pause for just a moment. When we talk about the spiritual disciplines, when I or anybody else says, hey, you really do need to read your Bible. You really need to make some time with God. You really need to give. You really need to do whatever these things are. It should never be a judgmental thing. It should never be a condemning thing. We're not here to bite and devour and and judge each other. But we do like to help children and each other kind of grow up, don't we? And we're here to help each other grow up. It's that spirit a spirit of love that he continues to write. So I say, Paul says, walk by the spirit. In other words, every day you're living this out. Every day you're listening to what the Holy Spirit is showing you. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. We're going to pause here for a second. I'll read the list. But again, notice what he's doing here. He's not saying, here are the really, truly despicable sick people in the world. Let's label them. He's saying, this is where your flesh will lead you. This is what happens if you live your life trying to please your flesh. If you live your life doing what feels good, smells good, sounds good, whatever else. If that's what drives your life, this is where that's going to take you. These are the behaviors that come out of trying to live just for sensual pleasure. As in all your senses and whatever feels or looks or sounds good. The next thing he's going to go to is what happens when we live by the Spirit. So this isn't judgment, but this is just a, hey, guys, this is just the truth. This is where we would all end up if we invest daily in just pleasing ourselves. Does it make sense? He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. A lot of relational problems there. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, here's another one of those warnings. Like, unless you change and become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. This is what he says here. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, that's not saying that sick, gross people who have committed these sins that, of course, we never would, can't be Christians. That's not what that's saying. It's saying people who choose to live their life trying to please their minds, their hearts, their bodies on their own, they will end up going this direction. Their whole life will be about that, and they are not going to enter the kingdom of God. But listen to the alternative. But, he says, the fruit of the Spirit, and not just the Spirit himself. Obviously, we can't do this on our own. But the spiritual disciplines are what we do to make it possible for the Holy Spirit to work in us. Make it easier for him to get things ready, to prepare the way for the Lord, if you will. 
He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified our flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us become conce- let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I hope you're seeing this because this is this is kind of the foundation where we're going. We can't become what God wants us to do become. We can't grow up big and strong his way on our own. And when we try to do it on our own, we never get where he wants us to go. We end up in the other direction every single time, all of us. If we follow our sinful nature, we're going to end up where our sinful nature leads every time, every single one of us. But when we daily take up our cross to follow Jesus, when we daily offer ourselves as living sacrifices, when we daily do things that we know help us connect with God and with other Christians and with what we need to get done for him, that's when we actually start hearing the Spirit. The Spirit starts moving us. That's when we actually start changing and becoming like Jesus. Are we tracking so far? This is really serious, really heavy, but I hope that's there. Let me tell you a quick funny story on myself, and uh, hopefully this will make the rest of this stick. Um, I have this thing where I don't like clutter, and I absentmindedly just kind of clean stuff up. I've got a friend. He's in the room right now. He used to torment me. I didn't even realize it for years, but we used to meet for breakfast, and while we'd eat, he'd just tear up his napkin and lay it on the table. And I'd absentmindedly pick up the little pieces and put it in a cup. And he'd just be laughing. I never knew what he was laughing about. But I just little, I always had to have the table clean. I do the same thing at home. I, I see a glass laying around. Anyhow, here's the point. One day I was, I was there. Kim had this big basket of fruit. And it just had a few of those little miniature oranges in them. You know, like I think some people call them cuties. You know what I'm talking about? The little tiny ones. Okay. So there's just a few, but they're kind of spread out over the whole thing. So we're all visiting, and I start shoving them over and stacking them up all on one side of the thing. And they said, what are you doing? I said, I'm making room. They said, for what? There's no other fruit here. What are you making? I I, I don't know. But that's like an in-joke in my family. And so that's what came to mind when I was trying to figure out how do I word this in a memorable way. We need to make room for some things. We need to make room. The first thing we need to make room for is silence. You've got to rearrange the stuff and the clutter in your life. Maybe get rid of some of it. Maybe throw some of it away. Maybe stop some of it. Not because it's evil and gross and offends God and everybody around you. It's just there's too much stuff. You've got to figure out a way to make room room. And one of the things we desperately need, and I don't know about you, but I don't have much of it anymore at all. And that's silence. We need to make room for silence. I'm going to read this for those of you who like to fill in the blanks. Here's the answers. Noise can soothe and distract, but it cannot heal. Just having noise playing can help you go to sleep. It doesn't solve the problems that are keeping you awake. As scary as it can be, We must create quiet moments. I don't know about you, but absolute silence kind of terrifies me. 
When things get really quiet, all that stuff I've been kind of keeping down bubbles to the surface. Am I the only one? Raise your hand if you're with me on this. Okay, I'm not alone. I am not alone. This is a good day. But we see this throughout Scripture. We even see Jesus himself practicing silence. He had so much to do. He had so many things, so many literal crowds of people crunching in on him every single day. But over and over, you see him spending time alone. And a lot of time taking his whole group of of disciples out into the wilderness or out on the lake or going someplace where he could find some peace and some quiet. We have to create those moments. You see John the Baptist actually living out in the wilderness and people would come out to hear him, but he stayed there when they all went home and had all that time alone with God. You see Elijah, you see so many other people do that. And then you see Job. You talk about a noisy book. The book of Job is, man, we, we could spend a couple of years in just that one book. It's amazing. If you've never read it, you need to read it. Take some time to do that. But in that book, there's storms and there's lightning and there's so many people talking and most of them aren't saying true things. If you've never read the book of Job, you need to stick with it. Don't just take one verse out of one of his friends, what they said. Most of the stuff in Job is, it's in the Bible for a reason, but not every single word is truth. You're hearing these lies and distractions in the story, the things that are trying to distract Job. There's just noise. There's just stuff. And it's going. But then finally you get to chapters 38 and 39 and God himself speaks. And here's Job's response in chapter 40. The Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. If you'd indulge me, I'd just like you to try something this morning. This this helps me to connect with this idea. Would you literally put your hand over your mouth and just say, don't do it right now. Wait, I'm going to tell us when. We're all going to do it at the same time. We're all just going to be really still. And in that silence, I promise it won't take very long. So don't get terrified. Don't walk out on me. If you're doing this at home, you can do it. You might hear some extra things. But in that silence, listen for stuff that you, you haven't heard. It might, you might actually hear people breathing. You might hear cars going by. Who knows what you're going to hear. But there's, just, there's a lot of noise in here. A lot of it's my voice right now. But we're just going to literally put our hands over our mouth, be silent for a while. Listen how much more you hear when you're silent. You ready? I don't know what all you could hear, but one of the things that I forget sometimes is you can actually hear the air conditioner nonstop. I mean, it's as simple as that. We just tune out all this stuff that's there all the time. Sometimes even the voice of God himself. Rich Mullins said, there is silence in the badlands. And over Kansas, the whole universe was stilled by the whisper of a prayer. And a single hawk bursts into flight. And in the east, the whole horizon is in flames. I feel the thunder in the sky. I see the sky about to rain. And I hear the prairies 
calling out to your name. When you make time for silence, you start to hear things you wouldn't hear otherwise. Second thing, if you're keeping track and filling in blanks, we've got to make room for solitude. Solitude, being alone. And I'll read the other part there. There's just one blank here, I believe. We all need time with others and time alone. Both can be time with God as well. He leaves that up to us. We all need time with others and we all need time alone. Both can be time with God as well, but he leaves that up to us. Rich Mullins also in an interview one time, he said this, God said to Adam and Eve, where are you? And I think people have had to ask themselves that ever since. And honestly, I think there's something really powerful and profound about changing your physical location if you're trying to think through something or trying to seek God, trying to process grief, whatever else. If you just keep on, just keep on what you do every single day, it's going to make it harder. There's really nothing you can do except just keep squashing it down. But if you go to Frozen Head or ozone or even sit on your own back deck or whatever else those are some of my favorites especially if you get out in in into nature in any kind if you see god's glory god's beauty go out to smoky mountain christian camp go someplace where you just can see god's beauty there's something that shifts inside of us. We not only start to hear and remember some things, but it start, we start to realize where we are. It's like, you know those little like uh, guitar pick looking pointers that are on maps and says, you are here. Whenever I get really alone, those things start popping out. And always is, almost always is surprising to me. Like I'm like, I, I didn't think that's where I was. Very rarely, it's a good surprise. Most of the time, it's a bad surprise. Really? That's all the farther I am in that direction? But I have to get alone. I have to get still. I have to get somewhere where I can connect with God. For some of you, that's your bedroom. For some of you, that's a coffee shop. For some of you, I don't know where it is. The back of a horse, back of a motorcycle, in your car. But there needs to be some place that you can get alone. And not just once on a regular basis. You need to figure out some place where you can get still and you can get alone with God. Because you're not only going to hear things that you normally wouldn't hear, you're going to become aware of where you are. And that's so important. We see this in Jesus' example, like I said. Here's one of many verses that says a very similar thing. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We see this again in John the Baptist's ministry. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Notice that there's that way of God using location change to make changes in us. And he's always sending us out to be with other people and to be with each other as well. Don't miss that at the same time as I'm including solitude. But a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Notice this is where the gospel started. 
This is the first thing. This was what was getting ready for what Jesus was going to say. And when we practice silence and solitude, when we make space, when we make time for silence and solitude, when we make room for God, we prepare the way for him, something good could actually happen. We still tracking on this? Hallelujah. If you, if you remember, this is exactly how Jesus taught us to pray as well. He said, don't pray on street corners, but get alone. Remember that? We'll come back to that in a second. Frederick Beekner said, to be commanded to love God at all, let alone in the wilderness, excuse me, is like being commanded to be well when we're sick, to sing for joy when we're dying of thirst, to run when our legs are broken. But this is the first and great commandment nonetheless. Even in the wilderness, especially in the wilderness, you shall love him. I just want you to know, if you get alone with God, it's probably going to get rough. You hear me on this? I'm giving you a fair warning. If you get alone on a regular basis, you're going to have to wrestle with some stuff that you've probably been trying to squinch down for quite some time. But this is what needs to happen. You're going to wrestle with the fears and the doubts that you just don't like to think about. But this is what needs to happen. We, we actually get to know him better in the wilderness. But the key here, don't miss this. The key to all of this is not getting alone or getting silent in and of itself. The key is what we're doing there. And that's this third huge idea. And that is we are there to call on the name of the Lord. If you're filling out blanks, that's the first part. Call on the name of the Lord. And what that means, if you don't know, and I hope all of you do, but just to make sure, it's not just say his name. It's not some sort of a magical incantation like saying Shazam and turning into Captain Marvel. Thank you if anybody even got that reference. That's not what it's about. It's about calling on God, appealing to who he is and his character. To say, God, I see this in the scripture and I know this is who you are. I'm not feeling that in my life right now. Where are you? What are you doing? Just like David, just like so many others actually do in the Bible. It's noticing when God is absolutely just doing everything and beyond that we could imagine that he could do. And we're so thankful. And we notice that and we say, God, I see this. This is you. This is your character. This is what you promised. That's what I'm feeling today. Thank you. It's, it's calling on his name. It's noticing that he is who he is, that he was and he is and he will be himself in every single situation. He's always there. And we call on that. And no matter where we are and what we're struggling with and what is tearing us up, when we call on the name of the Lord, we actually connect with the one constant in time, the one constant in universe, the one constant in everything. We call on the name of the Lord. And the promise is that the more we seek him, the more we find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. In Revelation 3, Jesus is talking to an entire church that's turned away from him. And he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I think that promise applies to all of us, not just the church of Laodicea. 
But you got to give Jesus a chance. You've got to get to a spot where you actually hear that knock. You've got to get to a space where you're actually listening and you can hear him talking through that door. You've got to get yourself to a spot and then you let him in. I don't know what that means to each one of you. What that means to you as an individual and whatever relationships you're part of, healthy or unhealthy, sinful or godly or how that works. I don't know what God is telling you, but you've got to get to a spot where you let Jesus back into that. Rich Mullins said, God is always going to be bigger than what we imagine him to be. God is always going to be bigger than what we understand him to be. And I love that you can hear it in all of his songs. From the first one that got recorded by Amy Grant back in the day. It says, sing your praise to the Lord. Come on, everybody. Stand up and sing one more. Hallelujah. Sing the praise to the Lord. I could never tell you just how much good that it's going to do you. Remember that one? Anybody? A couple of people. Yay. Listen to you. I know everybody knows this one. Sing it with me. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. From heaven above with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. That was awesome. Let's do that one more time. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. He wrote this. Joy comes from God. We were created to love God, and only when we experience that love are we really free. Anything that would impede that love, anything that would block our own awareness of our need for that, that binds us up. That's why moral purity is an important thing. To set yourself free from those things that would impede you from freedom. Isn't that beautiful? And most of the time, that's not how we look at it. We're like, man, if God loved me, just let me do all these things I like to do. If God loved me, he'd let me just follow my sinful nature wherever that leads and keep forgiving me. If God really loved me, he'd let me do whatever I want and just bless it. That's not how it works. What we have to do is give up the things that impede us from freedom Impede us from knowing him, and then we experience what he had in mind all along. It takes creation. You have to make that space, make that room. It takes isolation. You've got to focus on the things that you don't want to focus on, but make time to do it. You've, it takes intention. You've got to make this happen. You've got to call on the name of the Lord, not just get alone, not just be quiet for a little bit. You've got to go to where the only solutions actually are. But when we do these things, guess what happens? Transformation. That's when we actually get to grow up and look like Jesus. Let's get really practical these last couple minutes. I'm about to invite you to make a choice as we always do, but are you still with me? Can you still hear? Okay, this is so important. I think that throughout the scripture and in a lot of people that I know in their life, uh, they found that early in the morning, first thing is the best time to talk to God. And I think that that's by and large true. But I also want to read this verse to you and let you know that if early mornings just don't do it for you, it's okay to do it at a different time. Here's a, here's a verse, Matthew 27, 1. It says, early in the morning, 
All the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. In other words, you can do bad stuff early in the morning too, okay? It's not holy. There's nothing special about the early morning unless you're a morning person. If you're a night person or you're somebody that wakes up about 10 no matter when you get up. You know what I'm saying? How, can I, where are my people at? You need to figure out when it is. You need to create that space for you. And if you can do it first thing in the morning, that's amazing. It's beautiful. And you see that throughout scripture. You see Jesus himself doing that. But if you're not a morning person, that's not your out to not create time for silence and solitude and to call on the name of the Lord. Matthew 6, 5 to 8. This is Jesus himself talking about prayer. He says, when you pray, when you call on the name of the Lord, when you do this, listen, what he said, see if you can't hear all of these themes we've been talking about in the voice of Jesus himself. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door. Pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Silence. Solitude. Call on the name of the Lord. Watch the transformation happen. This morning, we're going to wrap up this way. Uh, on that piece of paper you've got, if you want to put it in your phone instead, if you've got a magic marker and you want to write it on your, on your arm, you can do that, but don't tell my mom. She's sitting right there and she hates that kind of stuff. <laughs> but write yourself a note. I want you to say, this is when and this is where I'm going to create that moment this week. I can't force you to do it. I'm not going to watch. I'm going to look at my notes for a second. But would you, would you try that? I dare you to say, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do it today at 2 o'clock. I'm going to go out on my back deck. I'm going to do some business with God. I'm going to, on Tuesday morning, I'm going to go to the coffee shop. I'm going to, you figure it out. I'm going to give you some space. Write something down. You can keep writing if you need to. If you've got something, just go for it. But for all of us this morning, we're going to sing one more song. And this is always a chance for you to make a decision. Some people choose this time to come forward and give their lives to Christ, to get baptized, to choose to become part of our church, or there's a lot of things. Some people like to just come and pray, and they like to do that up here and have people pray with them, or they go to the back to do that. Maybe you need to stay right where you're at. Maybe you just need to be very still and silent before God and not even sing. But whatever God's asking you to do this morning, if any of this has been convicting If any of this has said, uh, okay, I hear this. I hear God speaking to me and I know it's God because he's not judging me, but he's calling me to do something and he's giving me hope that I could do it. Would you do that? Would you do that as we stand and sing? My dad's gonna be right there. You can come and talk to him and work out any public decision you need to make. I get to worship again in the band one more time this morning.